Good day and welcome to Turning Your Cruising Dreams into Reality podcasts. I'm Jackie Parry and it's good to have your company. Today I'm going to talk to you about radios and more specifically HF radios and why they are still important to have on board. Today's episode is brought to you by Pantenius Yacht Insurance. Present-day technology is making people think that they don't need a long-range radio, which we call HF radio, high-frequency, or SSB, single-sideband radio. I wrote this story a couple of years ago, and this is exactly why I would still have an HF radio on board my boat. Breaking the ice with a net. On the ocean, our radio was more like a telephone. Power permitting, of course. Now, back in Australia, we have used our HF to speak to buddies in New Zealand. That crackle and buzz moves us into melancholy as we remember how great the radio was on our travels. There's the one time we realised ignorance is bliss. And the other time, the radio proved its potential to save lives. So let's look at an example, Radio Net or Radio Sked. Good morning, this is the East Atlantic Safety and Security Net on Friday the 26th of December. This is Jackie and Noel on board Mariah 2. Could I have a radio check please? The sun is still sleeping. It's 5am. A scratchy voice looms eerily into the darkness. Someone can hear us, so I continue. Are there any emergency or priority calls? I wait one minute, silently praying that the radio stays quiet. Nothing heard? Does anyone have any weather details they can share with the net? Someone, somewhere, always knows something. And if not, I translate our weather facts picture. Now we'll proceed with the vessels underway. Frodo, Frodo, come now with your report, please. The yacht Frodo responds. This is Frodo, we are at... And they give their position, their heading, wind direction, wind speed, boat speed, and they confirm all is well. Then I continue with the boats on my list that have already joined the net. Are there any other boats who would like to join the net? This can be boats underway or in port. Any news for the net? This could also be funny or informative. I'll close the net now and open up the frequency for boat-to-boat traffic. During our Atlantic crossing, the net list grew to over 30 yachts spread right across the vast ocean. Our lovely American friend Carol on the yacht Star Cruiser, who started the net, divided the list into Eastern and Western Atlantic and recruited us to lend a hand. In our logbook, we noted every single detail, including how many on board and all their names. In the latter part of the net, vessels in port are given the opportunity to impart information if they wish. 
And as net controller, it's presumed that you know all the answers to all sorts of obscure questions. It's here you come really smart at fielding off all the queries. Someone somewhere always has some sort of answer. And at the end, the net has to be officially closed and then opened up for boat-to-boat -boat traffic. It's courteous to call up your buddies on the frequency that was just used, then immediately select and agree upon an alternative frequency and meet them there for a chat. So on the oceans, you're not so alone. And during our last few years of cruising, we were often net controllers, and this creates its own responsibilities. Being able to log umpteen boats' positions, given a plethora of accents and transceiver qualities, can be hard, especially while you're hanging on. But if a boat that is on your list doesn't come up one day as net controller, you are responsible for following up that boat's whereabouts. And that could be as simple as asking the rest of the group to keep a lookout for that boat. Or, if they don't come up again and no one hears from them, you should inform the authorities when you make port. And looking at it the other way, there is also some owners on the boats taking part. If you join in, you must come up each day. Of course, if you no longer want to continue, that's fine. But you must inform the net controller or somehow pass the message along so people don't start looking for you. The Indian Ocean Crossing, the radio net, which we maintain twice a day with 10 other yachts, was a good break from routine. And, between you and I, it was a good break from talking to each other. But it also made the ocean seem a bit more friendly and not as empty or as frightening as they usually are. All was well with the world until we were two days out from Oman. A pirate attack was reported. Automatic rifle fired through the rigging. Knife at the wife's throat. Ransacked boat. Lots stolen. But fortunately no casualties. After hearing this shocking news, we stepped on deck. On the horizon sat a fishing boat, which took on sinister tones, and instead of the usual wave or quiet contemplation, they received the view of Mariah's stern. We demanded full speed ahead from our poor Yanmar, and it took us two hours to leave the fishing boat on the horizon. It felt like two days. We still had 400 miles to the area of attack, so I thought maybe we should calm down just a little, and we reduced the revs from the red line on the tachometer. The net continued, information was collated, and we plotted the location of the attack on our chart. It happened off the coast of Yemen. From Oman, we would pass the coast of Yemen in order to reach the Red Sea. Cape Town was sounded like a good place by this stage. Nerves were fraught. At Salala in Oman, a meeting was planned. And in the meantime, we spent solitary hours designing camouflage nets, grenade launchers and dummy infantry to stand on deck. The meeting was to take place at the local expats clubhouse and chaired by one of the more apparently knowledgeable yachties. He was Ed our American friend, on board his boat Dream On. 
Ed served as a Marine, or so the whispers went. There were various ideas put forward, such as, can the French Navy form an escort? Apparently they were sympathetic to the ongoing problem, but they couldn't help. All private vessels enter these waters at their own risk. There were a few radio distress frequencies we could use, such as for the US Navy, the French Navy and the Yemen Maritime Rescue Services. However, none of these stations would guarantee a response. And if they did, it was extremely unlikely they would have reached us to be in time. And if they did, it was unlikely they could have reached us in time to be of any assistance during an attack. Marvellous, Noel muttered. If the cavalry arrives, they can help sift through the wreckage. Those with guns on board had been discussing whether to open fire on sight, or only if they had to. Most of the Anks wanted to start firing as soon as they left port, then presumably not stop firing until they reached New York, and that was only to reload. The trouble with guns is that you need good ones. The reports we had received was that the pirates had automatics and approached the boats firing into the rigging. So do you open fire in return to save your radio and hidden American dollars? Could you open fire? By this time, Noel was wondering where we could buy Navy Beauforts, find a place to mount the critters and join the Yanks heading to New York. The pirates, we were informed, travel in high-powered speedboats and carry radio monitoring equipment. Using this gear is apparently how they have located yachts that talk between themselves on VHF, the short-range radio. Personally, at this stage, we thought Ed should be given a carton of rum, armed with a few Uzi machine guns and let loose. The final plan was for everyone to maintain close quarters to each other under sail, which was going to be interesting as there were no two boats the same. We would maintain strict VHF silence and only use the HF with too many frequencies to detect on set contact frequencies that were not divulged to anyone else. This was the great plan. So what happens if a boat is boarded? Noel asked. Do we ram the culprits if it's a matter of someone's life at stake? This was greeted with silence as everyone, including myself, pondered the reality of such a scene. Well, do we ram or observe? Or perhaps head for the horizon, blocking out the sounds of mayhem behind us? The meeting ended. We were stunned with real and imagined horrors. We adjourned to the bar. Two weeks later, despite having a tense nine-day sail, we experienced no trouble whatsoever. Again in the Indian Ocean, the daily net's value was successfully tested. It was Noel's first attempt at net controller. We remember it vividly, because in that part where you pray no one answers, that any emergency or priority calls, the radio crackled into life with a distress call. For a split second we looked at each other, 
with wide eyes and stunned silence. But Noel quickly pulled himself together, took down the details and coordinated the communications. The caller in distress was a crew member. His skipper's head had had a run-in with the boom. He had lost all feeling down one side and the crew were understandably worried. The fleet leapt into action and with what just seemed like a few minutes, via HF radio, we had the Australian Air, Sea and Rescue on standby. Just give us the OK and we're on our way. An American doctor in the group gave a number of a New York specialist to another boat with a satellite phone. Imagine, in the middle of the ocean, we couldn't even see these other boats and there was a New York specialist treating a patient over the sat phone and then via radio. The injured skipper was lucky, suffering only bruising on the brain and made a complete recovery. As for the rest of us, well, we felt like commandos flying into action. And after all the adrenaline had calmed, we realised the unparalleled value of daily communication. So yes, it can be daunting speaking on the radio, but it's very rewarding and good fun once you get over the nervousness of realising your voice is booming into several dozen boats. But the reasons for the net are obvious. If you go missing, someone has your last position within 24 hours. If you need help, a fellow boater may be just over the horizon. And whilst observing radio etiquette, you can still have fun. To have the day brightened with stories of a boat's head breaking in mid-use, or hearing about ferocious eagles tearing at birds and fish, leaving entrails all over a boat sailed by vegetarians, is somewhat amusing, perhaps only for the listeners. The most rewarding outcome is making friends with people from all over the world. The usual shyness of being the new kid at the anchorage is overcome, as often there are boats there we have already spoken with. The ice is broken. It's like opening a jar of coffee. Instant friends. Thanks for joining me today. This is Jackie Parry from Sistership Training. If you'd like to read this story, go over to sistershiptraining.com and click on articles. There you'll find lots more hints and tips of running your own sked. I wish you safe sailing.